0: Welcome to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellotta from SingleInTheCity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to the Dating and Relationship Show. I'm your host, Laura Bellotta from SingleInTheCity.ca and tonight we have a very important show lined up. Contrary to the beliefs of many Canadians, human trafficking is a huge problem rampant problem here in Canada it's one of the fastest growing criminal industries in the world it's happening everywhere this is a topic that we have already covered but with the freedom walk which is just around the corner September 21st to be exact I'm involved in the walk as well I thought it was a really good idea to bring it back to light the freedom freedom walk is an event to gain awareness and end exploitation in Canada today I am joined by an incredible woman her name is shane vidiata she's a founder of free them a Toronto based anti-trafficking organization and Ronal Bruder a trafficking survivor advocate and founder of the rise initiative a grassroots project dedicated to helping spread awareness on issues vulnerable people face and make a direct impact on youth in crisis welcome you guys to the show so nice to have you back Shay so let's dive right into the issue Let's tell people out there that don't really know what human trafficking is. Let's tell them what it is and what types of human trafficking can be found out there. So human trafficking
2: in basic English is whenever somebody is being... Uh, held against their will or being forced to do something that they wouldn't naturally have done. Whether the situation has been, um, they've been lured or coerced into doing something and the person who is holding them in that form of exploitation is benefiting from it. So making money, profit, uh, it could be forced labor, so for free labor. And it's a problem that we don't think happens here in Canada, yet it happens
1: more than Canadians really realize. Right. And I didn't even realize that it was so rampant, as rampant as it is, until last year when you invited me on the walk Mm -hmm. and to help promote the walk. And I was like, what is this? I I didn't even know what happened here in this country. Mm -hmm. Because we're not, I I would assume that it would happen in like a third world country, but it's happening right here in our backyards. Absolutely, most people think that it's happening in places like India or Thailand,
2: and yeah, it's that's what I assumed. Absolutely, and that's true. But as you've learned, uh, we have a huge problem right here at home, not even far from where we're sitting in studio today, and it's happening in every major city across our country, and it
1: needs to stop. And a New Statistics Canada report suggests the majority of victims are women and girls younger than 25 here in Canada. And the people most often charged with the crimes are men between the ages of 18 and 34. Is that correct, Shay? It is, yes. Um, Can you tell us about human trafficking in Canada and why it's still so bad in this day and age? In today, like the, the
2: average age of entry into forced prostitution is about 13, 14 years old in Canada. And so that number is actually a lot, um, it's less than what Statistics Canada reports. Oftentimes they're looking at the average age of rescue, so that's why that number is higher. And so when you think of a female who's 13, 14 years old, means that they're oftentimes just starting high school, um, still trying to figure out who they are, don't know who they are, and we all have different insecurities and vulnerabilities. And that's exactly what these 18 to 30-somethings prey upon in these younger females but
1: how are they finding girls 13 14 years old aren't these girls that live at home with parents and like uh, yeah, you what know. no it's
3: actually um, it's actually very easy to find vulnerable young people especially with social media so young people almost every young person has a social media account and they're giving away so much information, not even really being aware of it. Mm-hmm. They're talking about their insecurities. They're talking about a fight that they had with their parents. And if someone's a trafficker, they're looking for youth, they're looking for youth that so they can see are vulnerable and then connecting with them and trying to build that relationship so they're able to exploit them.
1: So give me an idea of, of what typically would happen, like on social media. So you're, you have an account, someone reaches out to you, and what might they say to you?
3: Well, because human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking, is a very relational type of um, crime, so a trafficker will introduce himself to a young person, they'll connect with them, maybe they'll, they'll accept their friend request, and they'll start to build a relationship. It could just be simply, oh, you're pretty, I like you. So it's really that kind of a boyfriend, love interest type of relationship that's building. And so the girl sends to you, okay, I like this guy, I trust him. But at 13, how can you like an 18-year-old? When I was 13, I was afraid of
1: boys. Kind really? of well, a little bit. Come well, on. I chased the boys when I was five. But then yeah. at 13, 14, when things could get sexual, I actually pulled back. I was a little afraid.
3: <laughs> well, they're not going to start with the sexual. They're not going to start with that. Okay. They'll start with a relationship. They'll find out what the vulnerabilities this young person has. Are they having issues at family with their home? Are there maybe financial issues that they're dealing with? Homelessness? Are they in the foster care system? So they're looking for different things that they can exploit. And once they've created that relationship, they have that bond. That's when they'll start to ask the questions or maybe bring up the topic of working in the sex industry, but they would not start that way. So
1: how are these perpetrators able to get away with it? Because I would think that if I was 17 or 18 and someone was trying to involve me in something, or maybe I am involved and I I, I feel like, you know, red flags go up, this isn't right, I, I want to get out. Why do a lot of them not get out? And you probably have personal experience with this. Yeah, know.
3: so because one thing is, in a trafficking situation, most victims don't see themselves as being trafficked. They see themselves in a relationship with somebody, someone that they love, someone that they see as a boyfriend, a protector. But this relationship has become toxic. So I liken it to domestic violence. So when you think of a domestic violence relationship, there's The love bombing, the attention, the flowers, and then there's the violence or the pulling away. So it ends up having that cycle repeating.
1: I want to come back to this. We're talking about human trafficking. We're uh, bringing awareness to human trafficking right here on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata. From singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: It's Sunday night. You're tuned in to the Dating and Relationship Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I'm Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca. Today we are joined by Shay Envidiata. She's a founder of Free Them, a Toronto based anti trafficking organization. And Ronal Bruder, a trafficking survivor and founder of RISE Initiative, a grassroots project dedicated to helping spread awareness on issues vulnerable people face and make a direct impact on youth in crisis. Before the break, I was asking Ronal, how come these perpetrators seem to be getting away with human trafficking and these young girls aren't able to get away? So please continue with the conversation.
3: Yeah, so I was saying it's similar to, can be similar to a domestic violence situation where you have that, it's almost Stockholm Syndrome, so you have a bond with someone where even though there's violence, there's abuse, there's manipulation, there's still some aspect of love. So you're kind of cycling between lots of love and attention to somebody being abusive and pulling away from you. Another part of it is that a lot of victim more funding, $57 million? Oh, wow. Which is incredible for is
1: us. Is that something that you helped with through Free Them, your organization? It's something that we've been ongoing
2: for years and years, first with the conservative government. And then, of course, the 57 million has just recently come through the liberal government that spent a good year going across the nation, talking to different stakeholders, which Freedom is one of them, and different agencies to get their opinions on
1: bridges, gaps and barriers of human trafficking happening right here. So I want to know more about Freedom. I want everybody else to know more about Freedom. So tell us a little bit about your organization and how people can get involved.
2: So, Freedom's a non nonprofit organization that fights human
1: trafficking, of course, here in Canada. And, and you are making some noise, some big noise. We're trying. Yes. We're trying. <laughs> well, you're doing a good job. <laughs> thank you. I see you guys everywhere. So, thank
2: you. Um, and. Our main focus is around prevention. I've always felt that you can't fight something that you're not aware exists. And back in 2010, when I was looking at the landscape in Canada, there was this gap that people didn't know what human trafficking was. They didn't know that it was happening here and let alone um, what to do about it. And so that for us has always been our mandate and focus is anything on prevention. So that encompasses awareness, education, legislation, speaking engagements into schools, um, going into community events, like the one that we have this coming Saturday at our
1: 7th annual Freedom Walk. Yes, we're so excited. So this campaign has brought together some of Canada's top personalities to rally the troops and to use their voice uh, for this cause. So uh, let's talk a little bit about this. Tell us what we can expect from the walk this year. So the walk has always been a place
2: where we can bring together diverse communities, whether it's cultural backgrounds, age, um, location, wherever you live. And so people literally from all over Ontario come together. We even have people flying in from L.A. to attend the walk. And that morning you're going to, it's very high level. So you're going to hear from law enforcement. You're going to hear from politicians. You're going to hear from survivors of human trafficking. And it's going to give you different perspectives on the issue, because even myself as an advocate I have my own perspective and so we want you to be able to walk away from the morning feeling really educated that you have an insight to policing how human trafficking works from an officer's perspective then what government is doing in their offices and have that perspective so by the end of the morning you're very well informed it's highly emotional um, and we also invite the kids to come again the average age of entry is 13 so we're walking for our young ones and so um, we have a kid zone that happens that morning so while maybe the more sensitive topic is happening in the main ceremony Uh, the kids are learning in a child appropriate way why they're there that morning so bring the strollers bring the wagons and bring your kids and the whole troops to come
1: we are bringing awareness to human trafficking on global news radio 640 toronto the dating and relationship show when we come back we're gonna listen to and she's gonna talk about her experience as a human trafficking survivor we'll be right back
0: Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from SingleInThisCity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
1: And we are back tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show. We are uh, bringing awareness to human trafficking that is happening around the world and right here in our own backyards. Joining us in studio is Shay Vidiata an incredible woman. She's a founder of Freedom, a Toronto-based anti-trafficking organization, as well as now Bruder. She is a trafficking survivor, and she's going to share her story now for
3: us. So you have the stage. So... From my experience, I had a lot of vulnerability, so both physically and psychologically. So I left home when I was 16. I had a very difficult childhood upbringing, faced a lot of bullying and discrimination, and I ended up in downtown Toronto. So as you can imagine, being a 16-year-old, a teenager in downtown Toronto, it's not a safe place to be. Um, so I was staying at different youth shelters, transitional homes, and I ended up meeting a young woman. And this woman wasn't that much older than me. And we became instant friends.
1: Like how old, 18, 19? She
3: was probably nineteen, twenty, so still fairly young. And
1: I guess that was her job to recruit you.
3: That's what I did not know. So I didn't know that she was actually a, herself a victim and now was sort of tasked with recruiting other young girls. But she introduced herself as a friend. We became instant friends, almost like sisters. And I started to see the things that she had. She was living in a condo. She had what appeared to me as a glamorous lifestyle. And so when she said, listen, you know, I can help you out. I can kind of help your situation. I want to introduce you to some of my friends." And so she introduced me to the man who would be my trafficker, but he presented himself as a friend. He presented himself as someone who wanted to help me. He wanted to protect me. He wanted to make my life better. So in no way was I afraid of him. In no way did I feel threatened by him, at least initially. And so he brought up the topic of working in the sex industry, so stripping working in strip clubs with the impression that it would have to only be for a short period of time. you have to save that money for the down payment on the condo, vacations, all these amazing things would happen. And so I sort of agreed. I said, okay, do you know what I mean? Like this was a way I thought to sort of better my life, particularly in the situation that I was in. And had you thought about stripping before this? So I hadn't thought about stripping before, but it appeared very glamorous to me. So I remember even us going to the strip club just to kind of show me around, right, to kind of say, oh, it's not that bad. And, you know, you see these girls are looking all pretty and they're dressed up and they're wearing revealing clothing. But it's like, okay, they're kind of dancing like you would dance at a club, but they're just kind of doing it in lingerie. So I said, "Okay, that's not that bad. And again, for me, I think one of my probably greatest vulnerabilities was I was looking for that sense of belonging. And so with him and with her and with them, I felt like I had that kind of like a family unit. And then, you know, so it was kind of like, even though I didn't necessarily want to dance, if that's what it meant to sort of be with them and sort of have that relationship, I was willing to do it. Um, so it started off, it wasn't necessarily horrible right away, but very shortly into it, it started to change. So all of a sudden it was, this is the quota, this is how much money you have to make. If I made that money, everything was wonderful. He was sweet. He was charming. But if I couldn't make that, then it was what's wrong with you? You're not this. You're not good enough, or something's wrong with you, or ends up being very nasty and emotionally abusive. And how old was he? So I'm guessing he was probably in his late 20s, early 30s. Okay. Again, it's hard to tell age range when you're young, but. Mm -hmm. um, And so, yeah, and so that was sort of the dynamic we were in. So we would work all in strip clubs all through Ontario. So we'd kind of stay in the various different motels and go to different clubs. I was always with her. So she would be considered, I guess, what you would say, sort of like the bottom girl. And so her role was to sort of do his role when he wasn't around. So she was always with me. Again, I was under the impression that she was there as sort of a friend. But really, in reality, she was there to make sure I was doing what I was supposed to.
1: And then how were you able to escape this type of lifestyle? And how long did it take?
3: Yeah, so for me, it didn't take that long. So I was only in it for a few months. And really the trigger for me to leave and to feel that I had to absolutely get out was the violence. So even though he was never violent towards me, I started to see a lot of violent behavior that he was starting to exhibit. And at one point, witnessed him assaulting another woman. And so that to me was that, I think, that turning point, watching him physically assault this young woman, all these other people in the room—they are watching it, and no one doing anything.
1: Were you at the point though where he had threatened you and said, "If you leave, something's going to happen to you, or something's going to happen to your family"?
3: So no, so he never threatened me physical violence. Something would happen to me. Instead, it was more, "You can't live without me." Okay, you know what I mean? Like you can Almost leave, like a brainwash. You can leave, but you have nobody. You have no family. You have no one that cares about you. So go, leave. But you know what I mean? What are you going to do without me? Kind of thing. And because. Being alone and sort of struggling with a lot of my own sort of insecurities, I believed that. I believed that I needed him. So once you left, did you
1: go home? Did you call the authorities? What did you do?
3: No. no. So that was the thing because I didn't know that anything wrong had happened. Because at that time, you know, even just understanding human trafficking, we're talking almost 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't something people were talking about. So to me, I just thought, well, I just made a mistake. You know, I got involved with this guy and maybe he wasn't what I thought he was, but that was on me. That was my onus, my own fault. So I never thought of myself as a victim or someone that had had anything done to them.
1: And how has this experience shaped you? Like, are you able to form healthy relationships with your peers or maybe with a potential partner? Are you in a partnership at the moment?
3: No, I'm single. Okay. (laughs) Um, But no, um, I would say that it, it deeply impacted me. So for years... Um, I think just as far as like you said, like building relationships and having just trust issues with people, men and women, and being able to sort of let that guard down with people, I think has been difficult. I've had therapy, so I've done things like therapy and different things to help. But I think it's I think it's a lifelong challenge as far as dealing with the trauma.
1: We are bringing awareness to human trafficking tonight on the dating and relationship show. And when we come back, we're going to continue our conversation with Ronal Bruder. She's a, a human trafficking survivor. We'll be back.
0: The Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata from singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Tonight on The Dating and Relationship Show, very special show. We're bringing awareness to human trafficking. The Freedom Walk is happening September 21st. Stay with us. We're going to let you know how you can sign up for that. We're talking to Ronelle abruder she's a human trafficking survivor. Thank you so much for sharing your story mm-hmm. today. As well as Shane Vidiata. she's a founder of Freedom, which is a Toronto-based anti-trafficking organization. Now, Ronelle also uh, is part uh, of an organization called Rise Initiative, so uh, let us know a little bit more about that. What is that all about?
3: Yeah, so 2018 I launched the Rise Initiative and with the goal that I wanted to find a way to support vulnerable young people. And so I had the opportunity to go into organizations and nonprofits where young people who've experienced homelessness, human trafficking survivors, addiction issues and facilitate workshops with them. So focusing on things, building resiliency, health and wellness, but really wanting to build that self-worth and that self-confidence in young people because that's something that I struggled with when I was a teenager, even when I was a young adult.
1: And there are a lot of people still struggling with that. So good on you. And um, I want to know, like, what do you want people to know about trafficking that they might not know?
3: Yeah, so I think... One thing I think is important is for people to really understand what it looks like. Because a lot of people have so many misconceptions when they think it's something, the movie Taken. It's happening somewhere else in a different country. Or if it's happening, it's someone being kidnapped, someone being chained to a bed somewhere. When in reality, most times what's happening here, domestic human trafficking, is a young girl meeting a guy thinking that this is her boyfriend, and this person taking advantage, exploiting, and using this young woman. And so I think we need to understand that the traffickers aren't going to be the boogeyman. They're not going to be a monster. They're going to be that nice guy that you meet at the mall. They're going to be the guy in your Snapchat. And so this is why it's really important for young girls and young boys to understand what a healthy relationship looks like. I think for myself, if that was something that I would have known when I was younger— Sort of these red flags and these signs to be aware of when you meet somebody if within 24 hours they're telling you that they love you if they're showering you with gifts that's not healthy
1: no that's not it's not we
3: we as adults know that but a lot of young people don't especially as a teenager you're going through all these emotions insecurities body issues and so i think it's really important for young people to understand that understand how to create boundaries and what happens if somebody violates those boundaries what do you do and also understanding consent
1: So let's talk about how we
3: can use uh, our
1: voice to bring change to those who are currently suffering. So I want to bring attention to Cyntoia Brown. Mm -hmm. Uh, For those of you who haven't heard, Cyntoia murdered someone who was trafficking her when she was only 16 years old and was then sentenced to life in prison. After spending 15 years in prison, she was released on August 7th this year. So yay. Fantastic! I know, right? Yay. So after celebrities such as Kim Kardashian, Amy Schumer, Rihanna just to name a few they brought awareness to this case she finally has been given her freedom so Centoya was a victim of sex trafficking and lost over half of her life in prison because of this but it it almost seems like it made her a better person she got a couple of degrees when when she was in jail and uh, now she's a big advocate how can we use our voices to make change and to bring change to victims that have suffered and are currently suffering who wants to answer this (laughs) Um, I think this
2: is a perfect example of what happens when we all do something we think even you know well if I tweet this what's my tweet gonna do or if I use this hashtag or if I make this post is it really gonna make a difference? Even doing our freedom campaign, you know, like will it make a difference if I come and I participate? And this is a prime example of what happens when we all just decide to do something because together that makes a great impact and literally this woman's entire life has now changed and has has a freedom pivot literally in it because many people around the globe took a stand for justice, used their voices and their platform, got the ears of the media, got the ears of politicians, and saying that this is wrong and unjust, and we need to do something about it.
1: Ronelle, I know you want to say something.
3: Yeah, go. Yes, no. (laughs) um, So this case, this Centoia Brown case, is very, very personal to me. So I had been following the case for years, and when the issue of her clemency came up last December, I actually wrote um, an op-ed about it, and it was titled, I Knew Centoia Brown. And in it, I talked about not only my own experiences, but that I knew so many young women like Santoya Brown when I was in my trafficking situation. Women who were vulnerable and who were exploited and used. And so Cyntoia Brown ended up murdering the man, the 42-year-old man that had paid for sex for her and a lot of the argument was well she murdered him but then she took his wallet right i think but what a lot of people i think miss was the point that this was a young woman who had gone through so much physical and psychological trauma mm-hmm. that at that moment when she felt threatened by that man she did what anyone would do to survive and she should have never been charged as an adult she should have never had a 30 plus year sentence that she did but i think to shay's point it was the rallying of the people coming together, tweeting, talking about it, that really made that change. And that's, I think, why she's free today.
2: And further, she should have never have been in that position, period. Mm-hmm. That option to have this situation unfold the way that it did should never have even been there to begin with.
1: Incredible. Ronell, you're just as incredible of a woman as Shay here. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> okay, so let's talk about how we can help put an end to human trafficking. So what are the steps to eradicating trafficking? Who wants to go?
3: Um, So one one piece that I think is what we're doing today and what Shay does with Freedom is awareness and education. So I think to your point, you always say you can't fight something that you don't know. So just getting the message out there, talking about human trafficking. I know that it's still very taboo to even have these kinds of conversations, but they're necessary Mm -hmm. because traffickers, predators... But why is it taboo to have these conversations? I think just even saying sex is yeah. taboo
1: still. Oh, I see sex all the time on this <laughs> yeah, show. Yeah, on this show. On this, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about sex. Yeah. No, uh, not right now, but okay. Yes. Yeah, It's just seems it's ugly. bizarre like, to me.
2: With this issue, there's a lot of hidden skeletons. And I think that's really more of the issue is that people who are purchasing sex are your lawyers, they're your doctors, they're taxi cab drivers, they're school teachers, they're faith leaders. Okay, but
1: purchasing yeah. sex uh, from people that are maybe of age and, you know, are... But the average age of entry in Canada is 13, 14 years That's old. It's horrible.
2: So the reality is is that even if that girl is over the age of consent, call it 19 years old, you still have to find out when she first entered the trade, which is oftentimes 14 years old.
1: We need to take a break. We'll be right back, and we're going to let you know some of the resources available for survivors.
0: Now back to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bilotta from SingleInThisCity.ca on Global News Radio, 640 Toronto.
1: Tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show, we're bringing awareness to human trafficking. In studio, we have Shane Vidiata, founder of Freedom, a Toronto-based anti-trafficking organization. And Renelle uh, Ruder she just told us her story. Thank you so much for that. She also is the founder of Rise Initiative. Uh, which she just explained. And so I want to talk about eradicating human trafficking and uh, or continue with that conversation. So for those who suspect a friend or loved one is being trafficked, what are the signs to look for right now?
3: So one thing I would say is, if you start to see changes, so particularly within a young person, if you start to see they're wearing really nice clothing, expensive clothing, expensive bags, they have their hair and their nails done, so you're starting to see a lifestyle that is not typical for someone that age. That could be a sugar daddy too, no?
1: But it well, it I guess often, not at thirteen. No, yeah, not at thirteen, yeah. no, not yes. at 13 yeah.
3: right? But also a sugar daddy situation can end up becoming a trafficking situation. Okay. Absolutely. For young, yeah. Ooh. Um. So things like that. Maybe they'll you'll also have lingerie in their bag. So they're carrying lingerie and sexy clothing they might be a young person might be tired because they've been up all night working and they're not sleeping so even parents might notice changes in their behavior you might notice that they're losing weight so their health is going to be impacted by this too as well grades dropping dropping out of school
2: skipping classes constantly lying Um, referring to their boyfriend who um, is you can see that the behavior of that man on this young female is causing them to have erratic behavior. So possibly mood swings, um, shortness of patience and temper. Oftentimes you'll see as well, um, tattoos is a big branding thing that pimps use to mark their territory. So it's a sign to the rest of the people on the streets that this is their property. um, Where she'll say that she's gotten her boyfriend's name tattooed on her wrist, on her neck, on an ankle, it's somewhere that's visible um, to people to be able to see that.
1: But the thing I don't understand is a 13-year-old that runs away from home, mm. where are your parents? Like, Don't they call the cops? I'd be calling the cops. Oftentimes, honestly, I'd be like taking them by the ear and dragging them home. It really depends on what the dynamic at home is. If you have parents
2: that, A, care, Um, then if you have a good relationship, like I had a great relationship with my parents in high school. And right away, if my parents suspected, like if my mood was off or if my grades started dropping, my parents would start to question that. But if I'm involved in doing something that I wouldn't want my parents knowing, I'm lying and now I get defensive and I start, my communication starts to turn. And again, at 14 years old, it's oftentimes when parents go, this must be where she's entering the teenager years and hates me till she's mm-hmm. 21. And this is the biggest thing I always talk to parents about is that you have to be able to communicate with your kids so that they are not, um, that they're not afraid to come and speak to you, but that you are knowing that. Um, as well, you're creating an environment where if this behavior is happening, you start to be more sensitive and not help push your child away further. Um, things like making lies, like I need to study for an exam, so I'm sleeping over at so-and-so's house. Um, you know, is that really happening? Um, and sometimes kids are literally going back home and sleeping in the house with their parents, yet they're being trafficked by day, missing classes, or have a job, quote unquote, that they're saying that they're going to. Meanwhile, they're actually working the streets and then are still coming home before it. And that's in more of the beginning stages until eventually they do leave the home. So you have both scenarios and it really depends on what the dynamics are with, with those parents or even if they have parents, like a lot through the foster care system and, and so forth.
1: And so for those, let's say we suspect a friend or a loved one is being trafficked, who can we call, what do we do? I always say to, you wanna call the
2: specific Um, human trafficking unit in your area. Uh, We're still needing to do a ton of training across Canada. Um, So calling 911 is not always the best because you don't know which officer is going to pick up. And believe it or not, they're not necessarily all trained on the issue of human trafficking. So calling the sex crimes unit in your area or calling sexual assault unit in your area if they don't actually have a human trafficking task force. Um, The other is calling crime stoppers. I used to always think when I was younger it's kind of like Ghostbusters. Like, who are you going to (laughs) call Ghostbusters, right? And it's like, is this really real? Like, yeah, you just, you don't really think it's legitimate. And even though if you drive around and you see on police officers' cars, it says, call Crime Stoppers, but You just never really think it's serious, and Crime Stoppers is one of the most fantastic tools that police have to not only take in and receive these detailed tips, but actually use to locate victims of trafficking all across the country. So if you don't want to call the police, because you gotta give your name, you gotta give a statement, Crime Stoppers is the best. It's anonymous, and it really, really does work. So that's always what I recommend to people. Or you can call Freedom, you can call us. We'll, we'll take in your tips and pass them on for you as well. Amazing, Ronelle.
3: And I would say, and the, um, we now have a national hotline. Yes. So you can also call the hotline, and they can direct you to services that are local, that are around you. So
1: Where are people going to be able to to uh, get the number for that? You can go to freedom.ca, and it's at the bottom of our website. Perfect. We need to take a break. We're talking about human trafficking today. We're actually bringing awareness to human trafficking. We'll be right back.
0: You're listening to the Dating and Relationship Show with Laura Bellata. From singleinthecity.ca on Global News Radio 640 Toronto.
1: Tonight on the Dating and Relationship Show, we're bringing awareness to human trafficking. We have Shane Vidiati in studio. She's the founder of Freedom, a Toronto-based anti-trafficking organization. And Renal Bruder, she's a trafficking survivor. Thank you uh, guys for being here tonight. I want to know uh, about the resources now. What resources are available to trafficking survivors? Renal.
3: Yes. So one amazing resource is Aurora's House. And actually all the funds from the Freedom Walk will be going to Aurora's House. Aurora's House is the only safe home that takes women who are pregnant and women with children. This is really important. So for human trafficking survivors, housing is one of the most important issues that they face. So finding a safe place where you can stay, where you can start that process of your rehabilitation and reclaiming your life. And particularly with survivors that have young children or are pregnant.
1: How long will they house somebody?
2: You know? It's um, minimum a year that they can take them in, and usually they like to have them graduate by then so you go through like That's learning new life skills an
1: entire year yeah That's awesome
2: yeah and there's six beds there so of course they can take in um, a few girls at a time in the, in rare circumstances some of the girls have actually come back like they've left and then they feel that they still need a bit more support so the Aurora House has been welcoming mm-hmm. them uh, to be able to come back but one year is
1: kind of the the program that they set aside for the girls and, Ronelle, what advice would you give to anyone who has uh, been trafficked? Oh,
3: that's. A, I think what I would say is find support. Mm. Talk to somebody and find support. I think when it comes to trafficking, there's a lot of shame that comes with that. So for a lot of survivors, you don't want to talk about it. You don't even want to tell anybody because you have a lot of shame and a lot of guilt for yourself. And it's important to talk to someone to get help. There are services available here going on Freedom's website, they list all their services, talking to somebody, just sharing your story. It doesn't have to be on a public platform, but just to be able to speak to somebody and start getting that help that you need. Because there's a lot, there's a lot for survivors. It's not only the psychological and the physical trauma you're dealing with, but it's helping you get your life back together. Mm -hmm. Employment, schooling, so many different services that you need and they are available. You just have to reach out and ask for help. What
1: inspiration can you give about the healing process?
3: Yeah, I think the healing process, it's not going to happen overnight. It's not an overnight, instant thing. I think a lot of people suspect as soon as you get out of this situation, your life turns around and everything's great. That's not reality. Mm -hmm. It's going to take the rest of your life to deal with this, to work out this. You're going to have good days. You're going to have bad days. But the point is that you know you're out. You know you're safe. You connect with people and you make sure you have a support circle of people in your life, family, friends, Therapist, whatever you need that you can always lean on and you can rely on when you have those tough times. And let's talk
1: about the Freedom Walk again, because it's happening soon. It's happening yes, September Saturday. 21st. So how can people learn more about this walk?
2: So you can go to freedomwalk.ca. You can go on and register. All of our event info is there. It starts, a registration will open at 9 a.m. in the morning. A ceremony will start at 10:30, and in between that, we feed you. So come hungry. Um, we have a freedom corner. We actually have shiseido that's coming to do a live activation as well, talking about sharing your beauty, so you can write a message to a survivor, to somebody you love. Um, so the morning is filled with different resources that you can go around. So in that in between time is really uh, a unique time. You can learn from uh, the different vendors and see some of those resources we were talking about available to survivors, but also to the community. To like learn more about what is happening in your own community um, for outreach and, and that sort of thing and so you can go on register as an individual you can create your own team you can invite out your coworkers, make a, like a coworker worker team um, so many different ways we need to raise the money uh, we're trying to raise a hundred thousand this year for Aurora house as you heard uh, they're one of the only safe houses in all of Ontario that takes in girls that are pregnant so we really really want to give them as much money as possible this year.
1: So, where can people get involved? Where uh, freedom dot
2: freedomwalk And how can people get a hold of you, Shay? you can go to um, freedom.ca you can email us you can follow me on Instagram just a Shea Invidiata good luck trying to spell that
1: <laughs> not funny think, but real I think people know who you are uh, maybe Invidiata team I it's, think
2: yeah NVIDIA, Invidiata I-N-V-I-D-I-A-T-A <laughs> uh, one word or you can go to um, our Instagram for freedom is just free underscore them underscore maybe an easier way to find me um,
1: through some of the photos there you'll be able to find me there <laughs> Ever but if people want to reach out to you, how can they reach out to you? Yeah,
3: so you can go to my website, com, or you can find me on social media at the handle Real Rennell. So thank you so much, Shea Vidiata, and Ronel Bruder for
1: joining us today. And Ronel, thank you so much for your honesty and for using your personal experiences and voice to help others in need. There's something very meaningful and powerful about that. We need to stand together so that we can do our best to bring awareness and put an end to such a horrific event that continues to happen we hope that you will join us for the freedom freedom walk which will take place on september 21st thank you so much for joining us today and everybody at home thank you so much for tuning in until next week ciao for now